the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the final podcast from Amnesty International at the Edinburgh Fringe 2010. We've been here raising awareness for the jailed Burmese comedian Zarganar and working with a wide range of comedians who've been exercising their freedom of expression to do just that. If this is the first show you've heard from us, then make sure you go to iTunes or Amnesty's website to hear the earlier episodes. We've had a ball this summer and I hope we've managed to capture the spirit, the buzz and the excitement of the world's largest arts festival. For more information about Amnesty's Edinburgh campaign, visit amnesty.org.uk slash edfest. On this show, there's a star-studded report from the Edinburgh Comedy Awards, featuring Al Murray, Tim Vine, Tim Key and all of this year's nominees and winners. We've also got some great stand-up from 2008's winner David O'Doherty and Des Bishop, a real favourite amongst a lot of the comedians that we spoke to. And after another rummage in the Amnesty International Comedy Archive, we pull out a little bit of Tim Minchin. Okay, so I'm now at the world-famous Spiegel tent, which is where Fosters are hosting the Edinburgh Comedy Awards. There's a barbecue going on, there's loads of people. Looks like a bit of a who's who of comedy. So I'm gonna go and get in there and see who I can see. Well, I found last year's winner, Tim Key. How are you? Oh, I'm good, yeah, how are you? Are you enjoying the event this year? Yes, we were just commenting, it's very nice. Nice jazz band, nice atmosphere. Lots of fosters. It's good. How does it feel compared to your experience last year? Oh, this is much more like a normal thing, the sort of happening. Whereas last year felt uh, a lot more like a peculiar dream that had been lasting for about a week. So last year I was quite, quite disorientated. You have to hand the award over. Yeah, no. Al Murray hands the award over and I hand a check. <laughs> <laughs> There's no kind of um, green jacket type thing that goes from one to another. It's just a big heavy bit of glass that you sort of have to find somewhere to put. And Tim Vine, hi, how are you? A heavy bit of grass? Pardon? Um, what? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you, yeah. Good. Now you're also an award winner this summer, how does that feel? Well, it's a bit of nonsense really, isn't it? but it's, it's nice to have got it. And what was the award you won? It was best joke at the fringe, decided by... We've never worked out who decided it. Okay, and you know, I'm sure you get been asked this a lot, but would you mind telling us what that joke was? I've just been on a once in a lifetime holiday, I'll tell you what, never again. It doesn't actually work anymore in any situation, that joke. <laughs> on stage, they cheer like I've just done a good tennis shot, and socially, it makes people feel awkward. It's not a joke anymore. <laughs> I heard you interviewed there you, where you thought it wasn't even the best joke in your show. No, it's not. I don't what is? Well, I went to Sooty's Barbecue, had a sweepstake. I mean, to be honest, that's better, but that one seems to have died a bit of a death as well. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to refuse to answer these questions anymore. <laughs> Tim Vine and Tim Keith, thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you. Hi, Gary Delaney, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. You kind of are a bit of an award winner in, the, in your, yourself, aren't you? Because you are the person with the most number of jokes in the top 10 best jokes at the festival. Yeah, I was you know, quite pleased with that. Well, Tim Vine over there just told us his winning joke. Would you care to tell us the two that got into the top yeah, 10? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a child, I was made to walk the plank. We couldn't afford a dog. And then the other one was um, uh, Dave drowned. So at his funeral, we got him a wreath in the shape of a life belt. Well, it's what he would have wanted. <laughs> Very good. Boom. I used to do an Amnesty joke. What was that? I joined Amnesty International because they had a special offer on. Um, buy one, set one free. There you go. I mean, it was never really funny enough to stay in the set for long, but I liked it. It's quite a sweet little joke. You can have that, Amnesty. Use that on a poster. Be my guest. <laughs> 
We'll check back in with the Comedy Awards a bit later and chat to some of the nominees. First though, here's 2008's winner David O'Doherty singing about his beefs 2010. World! Yes! I thought I warned you in the past about messing with me! Shit! I said you could mess with me once and you might get away with it. Mess with me twice and chances are I still probably won't remember. But mess with me numerous times in a concerted way. Think you're gonna get away with it. I'm gonna lampoon you through a comedy-based song. I'm talking about my beefs. 2010, things I've encountered again and again. My beefs. 2010, excuse me while I unleash a... Muticians, stop dressing up as nurses. You are not nurses. You are the opposite of nurses. Especially when I have a bicycle accident close to a group of you and you offer no help whatsoever as blood streams from my head. Basically, David, all we do is paper over the cracks. Fuck off! People with iPhones! Stop trying to show me what your iPhone can do. I couldn't give a shit. They've been out for years. Get back to me and do something really incredible like toast a sandwich or give you a spray tan. This joke has been undermined in the last two weeks because I've actually got an iPhone. But I realized the truth, and that is there is no app for loneliness. Girls, stop telling me about your dreams. Seriously, just the fateful moment when it begins. I had a dream last night. No, save me from the next two minutes. I was on a horse and then the horse was flying. I couldn't give a shit. It was unbelievable. Well, of course it's unbelievable. It's a fucking dream. What do you want, a highly believable dream? I had a dream, it was like a Mike Lee film. Wow. Politicians, stop making jokes in parliamentary situations. Your jokes are never funny. And you get to see the rest of the party all laughing along like you're fucking Oscar Wilde or something. He says he's gonna get the country back to work. Well, I heard last week he couldn't even get his own car to work. Ah! Or even worse than that is when they try and make a popular culture reference. Maybe instead of having him as minister, we should have Harry Potter, ah, he said a modern thing. Jesus, the young people are gonna love this. My friends, stop trying to set me up on dates with your quirkiest friend. I realize I have a ridiculous job, but I don't wanna go out with a girl called Tinkerbell who rides a bike shaped like a fairy cake. Come on. The word hyperbola, how dare you be pronounced that way? And spelled that way, especially as I've been saying hyperbole for the first, at least the first, well, the last 20, I didn't say it for the, I'd like to think I didn't say it for the first 40, but I can say, I'm including twice on a radio interview recently, after which I received six of the most pedantic emails you have ever seen. <laughs> uh, um, uh, David, actually, it doesn't rhyme with Super Bowl. Fuck off! Finally! People who constantly update what it is they're doing on the internet in the form of status updates. From where I'm sitting, it seems like there's two main schools of status updates. The first and the most common is make your life sound as awesome as possible. And that'll be like this. Just had a picnic up a hill. What a perfect day. No! I know what you're like. You're bipolar. You cry for half the morning. But even more pointless than that is the other one. About to make an omelette. No! What? You are about to undertake the mighty omelette. 
Thank goodness he told everyone this shit could go anyway. Somebody alert CERN, alert NASA. You might create a new element. Clear a space on the periodic table for omletium. Sort it out, world. If you don't, then you risk being part of my beef 2011. Hello, my name's Ed Byrne, and I'm backstage with David O'Doherty, who has just come off stage at the Pleasance One. Hello, Ed. Thanks for coming yeah. to the gig. No, not at all. I, I, I didn't have to pay, and thank you for walking me in. <laughs> I, I, I think the implication is that they think that you know you, you might be the type of person who might just give free tickets to people and then get them to give you cash. That you would just go, here, don't buy a ticket from the box office. If you just slip me a tenner, I'll get you in the back door. They well, think we're doing that. Well, I mean, in 2002, I uh, played the piano in uh, a show with Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie called Flight of the Concords in the caves, and they got no one for the entire run. So they, you get like 20 comps if you've got no one coming. You can print them off and then just hand them out to people. You try and get them to come with a group if you give them one. But they set upon, because they were completely broke and they would no post either. They set upon the idea of they would queue outside or stand outside the Gilded Balloon ticket office and when people would come along, they'd go, here, what are you looking to see? And the person would go, I'm looking to see Bill Bailey or, or um, Ed Byrne or whatever it was. And uh, Brett or Jermaine would go, yeah, I'll have a look, see what I got. And they'd look in the envelope mm -hmm. of Flight of the Concords comps and go, I've got these guys, Flight of the Concords, I'll give you this a fiver, a fiver. And the terrible error they made was they attempted to sell a ticket to the head of Gilded Balloon, Karen Corrin, ah. who'd be one of the most familiar faces on the fringe. Mm. They didn't know who she was, and she they were she was going to throw them out of the fringe until right. um, yeah, yeah, various uh, people told her it was quite a funny show. Great show, by the way. I love the fact that you have now the recurring theme of the Beefs song, that the lyrics of which change every year. Of the Beefs that you have been talking about this this time round, which ones do you feel particularly do you do you find most therapeutic to to talk about with the rise of Twitter, uh, meaningless status updates that uh, that are that just serve to as ego boosts for the person mm -hmm. you know just during this this fringe I'm on I follow certain people and they'd be like oh no, another sold out show tonight <laughs> god this is my best Edinburgh ever and you're like really what have you contributed to to society by telling everyone that apart from just high-fiving yourself <laughs> thank you very much Ed. thank you to Ed Byrne and David O'Doherty who are both big supporters of Amnesty International Back now to the Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Awards and a chat with some of the nominees just ahead of the big announcement. Greg Davies, how are you doing? I am a husk of a man. Husk of a man. But you know, I'm very happy, yes. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I, you're quite easy to find in a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one advantage of my freakdom is that. That's it, yeah. So you've been nominated for the big awards. I have. And they're about to announce it very shortly. Yeah. How do you feel right now? I feel fine. I'm amazed to be nominated. And I know it's a cliche, but I'm quite happy with that. Have you got a, an acceptance speech planned? No, I haven't, because I definitely won't win. <laughs> you might. <laughs> I definitely won't. What's been your French highlight? There's an amazing kebab shop near my house. Is it called Palmera? Yeah, yeah. Awesome, isn't it? It's amazing. Awesome. He's a genius, that man. <laughs> I honestly think he's a genius. He's not just a kebab maker. <laughs> He's a chili sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. No, nice. Very nice. I got, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to come back with. <laughs> Great. Well, listen, good luck with hey, the awards, and uh, I'll catch up with you afterwards if you win. Otherwise, you're dead I'm, to me. Yeah, yeah, and rightly so. <laughs> rightly so. Cut me loose. Joe 
obviously long. You're here. You're, are you nervous? Um, I am, I am, but I'm not. Like, I'm very, very happy to be here, and that's enough for me. Like, I'm very, very chuffed to have been involved. It's hard because you sort of a little bit of you is like, oh, I really would love to win, but it doesn't matter, and I don't think I will, and that's fine. I'm having a lovely time. Well, yeah, I think you've had what could only be described as a triumphant run. Oh, thank you. Do you know, I've really, really enjoyed myself, and the, the way I've done it is by uh, going swimming in the sea, having my bike, not reading reviews. It was good. Well, congratulations on your nomination, and good luck. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Bo Burnham. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. How does this feel now, you know, being nominated and this standing around waiting? Are you nervous, or...? Oh, no. The free chicken keeps me at bay, and, uh, you know, I think I'm very happy to lose to everybody. And I'm expecting to, so, uh, and that's not like Mr. Humble, sort of just Mr. Realistic, so I'm uh, very happy. You've had a great run, so has, has, it, has it lived up to your expectations? Oh, it's exceeded it. I didn't have many expectations when I came. Now, I'm asking a few people here, um, and I was wondering what your favorite joke in your show is. I can say my jo favorite joke from another show. Favorite joke from another show is probably uh, Tim Vine's joke that when... Uh, I'll be doing some signing after the show, so if you're deaf, come over and say hello. I like that one. That's very good. Yeah. Very good. What other shows have you seen that you've enjoyed? Hans Tay. I've seen like 10 shows and I've loved them all. Like literally, like really like them all. I've seen Gareth Richards and Hans Taywin and Pappies and Penny Dreadfuls and two episodes of MASH. Jack Whitehall. Oh my God, Jack Whitehall is going to be a superstar. Well, Bo Burnham, thank you very much for talking to us and good luck. Thank you very much. We will reveal the winner before the end of this podcast. But before we do, Des Bishop narrowly missed out on a nomination, but was widely regarded as having the best show on this year's Fringe. It was called My Dad Was Nearly James Bond and was all about how he and his family reacted to the news that his dad has terminal lung cancer. A very serious subject that he managed to make very funny. That time in the bedroom was a magic time. Me, my brothers, my dad, and his filthy stories. And the more we laughed, the dirtier he got. The dirtier he got, the more we laughed. I did not need to know how he lost his virginity, but he told us. <laughs> and this is my father's virginity story, as he told it on this particular day. He claims that he lost his virginity with a much older woman. So much older that they snuck into the physical fitness hall in Bexhill-on-Sea, and he said to her, is it in yet Mrs. Woodcock? And she said, call me Gladys. <laughs> That's exactly how he told me. And I was like, you have a punchline in your virginity story. I just can't believe that it happened that way. Who am I to begrudge a man at the end of his life his exaggerated filthy stories? I'm a stand-up comedian. We often take the truth and exaggerate it because the humor is in the exaggeration. So if he wants to tell those dirty stories to make us laugh, then go for it. And that's what he did. The dirtier he got, the more we laughed. The more we laughed, the dirtier he got. Stories about masturbation, we laughed some more and then we must have laughed too much because out of nowhere, one day from the bed, he turned to us and said, and one day we wanked off a dog. <laughs> I genuinely said that. And we laughed more than we had ever laughed together in our lives. Now, it was around that time that I had to go back to Ireland, which I did not want to do because I did not want to leave that special place, right? But I had to do one gig one gig back in Ireland that I couldn't cancel. And I was lucky, because if ever there was a city you had to perform in, when the only thing on your mind is the imminence of death and pain and suffering, then Belfast is probably the only place you could go. 
Because I didn't have, oh, there's some Belfast people in, awesome. You will know that I did not have jokes in my head. All I had was this fucking five or six weeks, I can't even remember how long it had been, but I just had this fucking unbelievable turn of events in my mind and don't know, I don't know why, but I went out and I fucking told them. You have no idea what I've been going through. And the more I talked about death, the more they were fucking into it. I said, fucking, is he dying, is he? That's all we fucking know is death. Fucking tell us about it. And the more I talked about it, the more they fucking, is he in pain? Tell us about the fucking pain. We love pain. I fucking, I fucking hilarious. And the more I joked about serious shit, the more they laughed. And the more they laughed, the more I told them and they must have left too much because out of nowhere I turned to them and said and one day he wanked off a dog and they were like he fucking wanked off a dog did he? as if that's just like a fucking common thing to joke about in Belfast and I couldn't wait to get back to the hotel and call my father which is what I did and I was like dad you'll never guess what story I told on stage in Belfast and they fucking loved it I told the story about you wanking off the dog and he said oh yeah Black Bob <laughs> and he named it which took away the ambiguity upon which I was enjoying the story. There's Bishop there with an extract from his show, My Dad Was Nearly James Bond. Now, back to the Comedy Awards, where the winner for this year's big prize is revealed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2010 Together for your host, yeah, last year's winner, Tim Keith, and 1999 winner, Al Murray! <laughs> <laughs> it's Russell Kane. Hello, Russell Kane. Hello, hello. You just won the big award. I know, it's just unbelievable. Because I'm doing, I'm talking to all you lovely people, I haven't had a chance to sort of do my punch the air and sob under the duvet, but I will be doing it in a moment, I promise. So what are you going to do now? What happens after Edinburgh? Are you going to capitalise uh, on this success? I'm hopefully, we'll be doing a little um, documentary type series for a station about quirks and idiosyncrasies, which is a little sociological thing, which I'll film really quickly. And then on September the 9th, I go to Ibiza. <laughs> Seven days, mate. <laughs> I land. I'm going cream amnesia on Thursday. Judgment Sundays on Sunday. A manumission on Monday. And Pasha on Tuesday. <laughs> and of course, I'm touring and lots of exciting projects. Now, you won a cash prize as well. Have you got anything in it's mind? In my spending? wallet. I don't even know what it is yet. I think well, let's I, see. Let's have a look. Maybe some Guardian readers will know whether I have to pay tax on prize money. Oh, I don't know. We need Moneybox Live, actually, on uh, Radio 4 for that. Yeah, yeah, It depends yeah. whether I've got a tax on it. So if I don't have to pay tax, I'm looking at, I'm sitting on 10K. How amazing is that? It's the most money I've ever had in one go. So exciting. What are you going to do with it? Something horribly green and boring. I'm going to get a Toyota Prius and do... I, I spend so much time in my car driving myself because I can't afford a tour manager yet. So, A, I had one for a little while and they're really comfortable. I do stand-up about it in my show. I love them and they help plan it a bit. So, Guardian readers will love that. Some of them will be smearing hummus over their bodies as I make that revelation. <laughs> Why do you love this Prius so much? It's eco-friendly, which annoys right-wing people, and it's just very comfortable. Drive and it parks itself. I've got girl brain. I cannot park even in a car three three spaces long. I end up at an angle. So you pull up alongside in the Prius. You press a button. You've just got to control the gas, and it parallel parks itself. That is reason enough to win the Edinburgh Comedy Award. <laughs> Well, Russell Kane, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank and, you. And congratulations on the award. Well deserved. Thank you. 
Al Murray. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, yes. You just presented the uh, Edinburgh Comedy Awards. That's right, I have, yeah. Uh, to Russell Kane, who won it, and Rasheen, who won the newcomer, Rasheen Connerty. Great. How did it feel? I'm fine. You know, uh, they gave me the envelope, I opened the envelope, read what was in the envelope. And did it have a big impact on your career when you actually won it? Yeah, it meant that there was a sudden um, upsurge of people saying I was rubbish immediately afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sarah Millican, hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good, I've just had a cake. Oh. <laughs> I've got like a, a kind of sugar rush, but I'm really tired, so I don't really know how I feel. <laughs> well, firstly, I want to say congratulations on your nomination for this award. Big award, very prestigious thing to be nominated for. Now, you didn't win, but no one's taking away the nomination, though, are they? Exactly, and you still get a bit of perspex that says nomination, and I've also picked up a bit of paper off the table that says reserved for nominees, and I'm going to put it on every chair I ever sit on. <laughs> How was that experience, kind of sitting around waiting for the announcement? It's weird. It's there was too many people in here. I don't really do people, you know, in a close proximity. And then my, Russell was genuinely my first choice. And I know that sounds like I'm being modest, but I really, because his show absolutely blew me away. And while mine was hilarious, his blew me away. Uh, and so he was my first choice. I was my second choice. Obviously, I'm not an idiot, but he was my first choice. So when he won, I was I'm genuinely thrilled for him. And I think if the person that wins uh, is somebody that either you don't know or you don't, you know you don't read it or whatever it's it must be you know hard but I'm genuinely thrilled from it and it'll make a massive difference in his career and he deserves every accolade because I think he's awesome and a lovely lovely man and he gave me my cake pigeon um, name so he's always has a special place in my heart he gave you your what um, he called me a cake pigeon in Australia because every time I stand outside of a bakery I coo like a pigeon so and it's great it gets a big laugh in my show I do name check him he does get a name check how did when you didn't win how did all the people around you react they do that face <laughs> they do the oh never mind face when i was actually really pleased and i looked at sadie russell's wife and she was crying and then i started crying and it looked like i was crying because i hadn't won but i was crying because i was really happy for russell so and people do that people do that i still think you're brilliant and you think yeah well yeah because that shouldn't change your mind that shouldn't have even come into the equation and just because you didn't win miss world doesn't mean you're not pretty <laughs> Just if you're nominated for Miss World, it means you're not very clever. <laughs> That's a definite guarantee. Uh, no, I love that. I'm going to use that. Can I use that? That's hilarious. Great. Well, Sarah Millican, thank you so much for talking to us. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Here's Paul McInnes from The Guardian. How are you, sir? Um, I'm absolutely shattered and a little bit tipsy on uh, Australian alcohol. It's been a long process. I think it's been a record number of shows viewed. Certainly, it's my personal uh, uh, high. And I think the two really strong shortlists, which reflect a really strong fringe. There's a tendency to talk things up anyway, but I think really people aren't exaggerating. I think this year has been a really strong year across the board. The average level has been really high and it was a real struggle to get it down to five uh, for the main prize and six on the newcomers. Um, but I think it was it reflected the diversity of the fringe and I think ultimately the winners deserve their, their awards even amongst this strong bunch. That's it for another year and thank you very much for listening to this series of podcasts brought to you by Amnesty International. Please visit amnesty.org.uk slash edfest to find out more about our Zarganar campaign and to find out how you can get involved with Amnesty. To finish off, here's a little bit of Tim Minchin recorded in 2008 at the Secret Policeman's Ball. So, uh... I'm married.
and uh, the woman I'm married to I, I met in high school and this is a um, song I wrote for her it's called If I Didn't Have You Yeah, yeah If I didn't have you If I didn't have you to hold me tight If I didn't have you to lie with that night If I didn't have you to share my sighs And to kiss me and dry my tears when I cry Will I really think that I would have somebody else? If I didn't have you, someone else would do Your love is one in a million You couldn't buy it at any price but of the 9.999900,000 other possible loves Statistically some of them would be equally nice Or maybe not as nice but say smarter than you Or dumber but better at sport or tracing I'm just saying I probably have somebody else Yeah If I didn't have you, someone else would do. Someone else would show And look, I'm not undervaluing what we've got when I say that given the role chaos inevitably plays and in the inherently flawed notion of fate, it's abstruse to deduce I found my soulmate at the age of 17. It's just mathematically unlikely that at a university in Perth I happen to stumble on the one girl on earth specifically designed for me. And if I may conjecture a further objection, love has nothing to do with destined perfection. The connection is strengthened, the affection simply grows over time like a flower or a mushroom or a guinea pig or a vine or a sponge or bigotry or a banana and love is made more powerful by the ongoing drama of shared experience and the synergy of a kind of symbiotic empathy or something so I trust it goes without saying that I would feel really very sad if tomorrow you were to fall off something high or catch something bad but I'm just saying I don't think you're special I mean, I mean, I think you're special, but you fall within a bell curve. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I probably have somebody else. I mean, I reckon it's pretty likely that if, for example, my first girlfriend Jackie hadn't dumped me after I kissed Winston's ex-girlfriend Nia back at Steph's party in 1993, enough variables would probably have been altered by the absence of that event to have meant the advent of a tangential narrative in which we don't meet. Which is to say there exists a theoretical, hypothetical, parallel life Where what is is not as is And I'm not your husband and you are not my wife And I am a stuntman living in LA Married to a small blonde Portuguese skier Who when she's not training does abstract painting Practices yoga and brews her own beer And really likes making home movies And suffers neck down alopecia But with all my heart and all my mind, I know one thing is true. I have just one life and just one love, and my love, that love is you. And if it wasn't for you, baby, I really think that I would probably have somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have you, if I didn't have you, someone else would surely, someone else would surely do. The Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. Everyone in this podcast has donated their time and performance to Amnesty International. 
We use our freedom of expression to support those who have none. Protect freedom of expression for everyone by joining Amnesty at amnesty.org.uk slash edfest.